Uh, hi, Andrew Laufer. How are you? Hey, Zeph. How you doing? Andrew, make me feel good about today's events. Is this the right strategy that what they're doing? Are they doing the right thing by going the route that they are? My personal opinion is that I think they really should have gone inherent contempt. You know, mm -hmm. Congress exercised those powers. Granted, there is not a heck of a lot of use of it in recent history. What is inherent contempt? Can I just speak on, that yeah. I'm completely uh, stupid about this and I don't know what it is? It's logistically, it would be difficult for them to do it. And generally, you know, the standard fare is them, you know, refer making uh, criminal contempt referrals to DOJ and having DOJ prosecute. You know, the issue with that is, you know, it, this is a special power that Congress has mm -hmm. that they can utilize. By placing the ball in DOJ's court, they have prosecutorial discretion. Mm -hmm. essentially. They don't have to necessarily prosecute. They can wait on prosecuting. It's not like it's going to happen tomorrow. Um, I believe Eric Prince was referred to DOJ back in January, but that still might have been when Barr was running the show. I think it was right before Biden was sworn in. Mm -hmm. And that means that yes. Barr could have declined to prosecute right there and then. We, don't, we, we won't know that. You know, Basically, what will happen is they'll send Prince a letter, or his counsel a letter, and say, we are declining to you know, move forward with charges against you. Mm -hmm. so, so you think it's going to take longer to go through the DOJ? They would have been short if they just used inherent contempt. Right. And it's not like inherent contempt is putting someone in prison for years. It's mm -hmm. basically akin to what happens during a grand jury. If there is a witness that's been subpoenaed and they're not being cooperative, mm -hmm. they don't want to testify. They don't, you know, like Chelsea Manning during Julian Assange's grand jury she was put in jail during the pendency of the grand jury until she agreed to testify and she didn't as soon as the grand jury disbanded she was released mm -hmm. and i think this happened a couple of times with her it would be a similar outcome with any of these transgressors of congressional subpoenas the irony is they'll serve more time under those circumstances than they would for a criminal conviction or a plea for criminal contempt right uh, i don't know if bannon's got any priors um, if he doesn't, well, he was pardoned, so he probably gets off all some of those, doesn't he? <laughs> One would think. I mean, it, it's not removing the stain of the conviction per se. Right. It is removing the punishment though that's um, associated with it. Oh, interesting. So uh, I don't know how that would play out, but it would definitely be interesting. But in inherent contempt, there'd be no opportunity for the, the DOJ to decline to prosecute. They would immediately just put them in jail. Is that correct? Or how does it work? Right. I mean, they would be theoretically, mm -hmm. they would be taken into custody by the, you know, by the sergeant at arms, so to speak, of the house. And the little they jail they have down at the bottom in the basement. Yeah, they'd be held in the little jail and he'd get his TV dinners and, you know, phone calls and whatever the heck else he wanted. And I'm sure there would be a buy. He'll, he'll, um, he'll do the war room live from down there if he had his chance. Maybe. From behind bars. He's a prisoner, <laughs> he's a prisoner of unconscience, you know, yeah. of unconscious, you know. So why are they doing it this way? Why are they going to the DOJ then? I think a number of reasons why. They, they don't want to make it look partisan, you know, that they're throwing him in jail. They don't want to make, quote unquote, a martyr for his deranged uh, followers. You know, there's those aspects to yeah. it. But, you know, at the same time, I mean, it's, there's never going to be a perfect situation. It's always going to be a balancing act. Do I mean, we? The idea of, Steve, of Stephen Bannon being a martyr for anyone and people like following that, it just seems so... You well, anti-character for him. I think he would be a martyr for, for Scotch because Scotch would be very upset <laughs> for whiskey if he's, if he's suddenly uh, detained. That's true. Um, he would be very upset about it. Rachel, do you have any questions for Andrew about what he thoughts about uh, the process from a legal perspective that you want to ask uh, Andrew? 
No, I mean, I agree with them. I think so. Here's the thing. It's like this idea that if we don't go through DOJ, then then they won't tell us it's a partisan witch hunt. Right. Right. It's true. Here's the thing. There's nothing you can do. There's no like amount on reconciliation. You can spend less that they're going to not call you a socialist. Mm -hmm. So like in this regard, like AOC is right. Right. I mean, there's you know, I'm not saying I agree with AOC on a lot of things, but I'm telling you, she's right on this. You cannot run away from these labels. You have to run into them. Hmm. And so, yeah, you file inherent contempt and you throw his ass in jail in the worst conditions you can possibly articulate for a guy who is telling people he wants to go to jail. Fine. Give him the D.C. experience. Let's see how much he likes <laughs> jail in D.C. I don't I bet he'll be popular there. Yeah, maybe he probably would be. Who knows? <laughs> lots of shirts to give away in any event. He wears lots yeah, of them. Yeah, he'll um, be real popular. <laughs> Heidi, we'll get to this question. Is there any questions you want to throw in now? There's multiple concerns from our viewers. One is that they believe that propagandists like him are actually domestic terrorists and that mm. we kind of, they feel like there's been a pussyfooting around this. The other concern—they don't even they domestic terrorists; they're foreign state terrorists. But that's well, a, that's another. A lot question. of them are sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And the other question I think there's a big concern about is this idea of executive privilege. There's just a way that people can get more clarity on that. That's interesting. Tell us about executive privilege, Andrew. Right. Do they have any claim in culture? Because they've. Do they have no. any defense around that at all? Zero at this juncture. Trump is no longer president. He doesn't have the right to assert executive privilege. Executive privilege tells you who has the right, whoever the executive is. It's mm -hmm. not Trump privilege. It's not Clinton privilege or Obama privilege. It's right. the executive branch. It's the office, really. It's not even the person. the person. Right. Exactly. Right. And, and Biden has already waived any kind of executive privilege there. And there's nothing Trump's going to do. He's going to lose. You know, this is just going to be thrown in the pile of the thousands of other lawsuits he's gotten right. destroyed on. So this is going to be a time play. They're basically going to waste some time here while they hope they win the next election. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if, if upon filing this lawsuit, they requested um, order to show cause like a stay mm -hmm. to prevent these records from being released. I don't know if they did that. If they didn't do that, there's no stay. They can, you know, the executive branch can do whatever they want. They could just be like, okay, right. that's nice. You filed a lawsuit. I mean, in terms of Bannon handing over his stuff and participating, they're playing for time, probably. You know, I don't even know what they're playing for. They think they're playing for time, but it's really a foolish endeavor. The attorneys are going to get potentially sanctioned, not as bad as the cracking. I mean, not the yeah. cracking nonsense, but it really depends on, on the representations made. From what limited aspects I garnered from the complaint, it's just, it's nonsense. There's just no merit. But so, you've got a conspiracy here, possibly. Potentially, this is a conspiracy, right? There's all these players, maybe Trump's in the middle, maybe he's not, but you've got you know, Flynn, Stone, Bannon, all involved in conspiracy. Presumably, if that's the finding of the commission, those are grounds to then file criminal charges against these people, or does, are they completely separate investigations? Completely separate. So uh, there's no bearing on No, no. Uh, DOJ is not going to allow Congress to do their, okay. their discovery. For but them. if what Stephen Bannon says in front of Congress, it, can that be held against him in a criminal investigation? Absolutely. Right. Any public statement. So he'll plead that the question. fifth if he doesn't, if he well, probably. He's already done some really dumb things, you know, yeah. but that's not really a shocker. Yeah. <laughs> With this crew, they just, you know, I mean, it's just all about gaslighting and bravado. Mm -hmm. You know, if they were, you know, the buck's going to stop at some point. Mm -hmm. And when that occurs, they're, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And all these crazy, stupid statements they've made are going to come back to, to every to episode really of the war room ever. You know, it all lays the groundwork for intent, intent to mm -hmm. foment an insurrection. 
conspiracy, you know, sedition, crimes against the United States, you name it. I mean, there's every sort of possible crime these bumbling fools have committed. And part of what makes us feel powerless is because of the microphones they have right now, mm-hmm. the megaphones, that they're out there, they're spewing nonsense. No one's really stopping them because, right. but things are moving forward. You know, uh-huh. Oleg Deripaska's house was uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. in D.C. in New York, uh-huh. which makes me very happy. You know, it really brings mm-hmm. some sunshine into my life when I see <laughs> right. these murderous Russian oligarchs being held to task by our law enforcement. And they should be, be red noticed, all of them, and they should all you know, have a lot of problems from here on in because they were the engine, you know, um, that Putin weaponized to attack, you know, the West. Something Deripaska was the central figure for me in the crime that was Trump-Russia. I mean, the, more than anybody else, he's the one person you can connect to all the different disparate elements of Trump-Russia, you know, that's, whether it's yeah. Assange or whether it's the Assange. Manafort or Kalimnik, all of that. He connects directly to all of those and uh, it would be nice for him to see him you know, at least pay the price, certainly because he's never been sanctioned. You know, he got the sanctions lifted against him quickly. So he, he never even got a chance to get sanctioned. It was a political move, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Zev, it was political by the Trump administration to lift sanctions against Deripaska. Something about Kentucky aluminum or something like that. Complete nonsense. Ask Mitch. It's, just, it's, it's criminal. It's just a, it's one huge criminal conspiracy with a lot of little branches going in yeah. 30,000 different directions. Let me ask you before anyone else jump in here, because I'm curious about this one question. These three gentlemen all have ties to different intelligence agencies around the world. Michael Flynn, as we know, is connected to Russia. Roger Stone, also reputedly close to Russia. Stephen Bannon is a little different. Stephen Bannon is connected to Russia, but he's also, you know, one of the many connections that Donald Trump had to China, because he's worked extensively for China all the way back to as early as 2005, when he first had the the internet gaming entertainment company in Hong Kong, which is reputedly a part of the intelligence operations of China. But in 2014, he was also close to Russia when Mercer, who's Robert and Rebecca Mercer, um, also very connected to Russia, joined with him to buy Breitbart and also Cambridge Analytica. That goes on in 2016 when Rebecca Mercer forces Donald Trump, we don't know if she forced him, but she told him to, hire Bannon and Conway as the leaders of the Trump campaign, and that's how they got elected. So you got a little bit of China, a little bit of Russia, and this goes on into 2016 when Bannon got a lot of money to produce a documentary from the Chinese sister network, I guess, to the Epoch Times, NTDT. He got substantially uh, awarded a budget to, what, what does he say here? I'd give them a number and on a project budget, and they'd come back and say, we're good with that number. That never happens in television production or any production. Right. But in this case, they gave him like, you know, tons of money. At the same time, as Robert and Rebecca Mercer gave the same company $900,000 through a renaissance technology employee. And that takes you all the way to 2021, where when uh, Bannon has been, uh, you know, cavorting, maybe cavorting is not the right word, with Mr. Guao over here, supposedly a, a Chinese dissident, but really a agent for the Ministry of Safety and Security, the spy agency of China, pretending to be a Russian dissident. Uh, we know that because of the amount of times he's pleaded the fifth in court. These are all, you know, so for all intents and purposes, you've got a bunch of spies doing a lot of things in, in America. Can we really go after them in court? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We have obviously jurisdiction over anyone in American territory, mm-hmm. and we can also seek to extradite them here like we're doing with Assange. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you've got hundreds of millions of dollars of influence operations going on between Russia and China 
all geared towards undermining faith in the West's and, and specifically United States um, uh, democratic institutions. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know Russia and China are bad, you know, the Uyghurs and, and all the dissidents that, you know, what they, you know, there's no freedom there. But you know, their goal is basically to just say, well, America is just as bad as we are. And at least we're honest about it. That's their play. Right. Um, they know they can't clean their act. They're honest fascists. Really- yeah, exactly. Look, you know what you're getting here. You know, if you don't do what we say, you get a bolt in the head. But at least we're telling you that <laughs> you're going you're to get beaten to death, like Sergei Magnitsky. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in Navalny. Yeah, Navalny. You know, so I mean, that's really their play. And the way you push back against that is just to show that their representatives, whatever nonsense you know they're they're spewing, is just the dog. what it is is nonsense and discredit them. I do um, have a viewer question that relates to what um, Andrew was just talking about. The viewers are trying to get some clarity. I know it's just so great. So there's just the viewers would really appreciate clarity on if someone like Bannon gets a pardon for one crime, how to then plead the fifth on something else? How does that actually work? Because great. Let's hear it. Well, it depends. If he got a pardon... He's not allowed to plead the fifth regarding the crimes that were pardoned, mm-hmm. okay? But if he's facing potential criminal liability for other crimes, even ones that might relate to that previous crime, he does have a Fifth Amendment right. And that's good. Mm-hmm. We want to burn these guys so bad, we want to set them on fire and laugh while they're screaming for their, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, but you, you got to understand that the way we defeat these people is to show the world that the rule of law works. It's not perfect. It can be messy, it can be gross, and it definitely have our issues and it needs to, we could always improve upon it, but it works and it's much better than the totalitarian, authoritarian right. nonsense of Xi and, and Putin and any other you know, would-be authoritarians out there. I think it's important. I, I'm sure you read the uh, Build the Wall indictment and it showed that Stephen Bannon wasn't particularly great at criming. I mean, there was so much evidence uh, according to the indictment of the money that was grifted from the base toward the pockets of those on the indictment. So I don't know, is there anything that we can say to tell people? I think there's this fear and terror that is stirred up about potential violence, but maybe these propagandists aren't necessarily that bright at all things. They're dumb. They're not smart. They may have certain insight into certain things. Um, they're smart enough to be a pain in the neck. Mm-hmm. Let me put it to you that way. They can gum up the works, and that's all they need to do. You know, they need to just be smart enough to do that. But we've got a very good, you know, and I'm a civil rights attorney. This is me, and I'm. you see me sticking it for DOJ all the time, even though they're an adversary of mine in, in cases. We've got a very good criminal justice system. There's, there's a number of things that need to be improved. You know, MCC, for example, in downtown Manhattan, where Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide um, and where I've had a client was murdered, mm. is like a Holiday Inn Express compared to the prisons that you see in China and Russia and Saudi Arabia. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, these, these people just get to bathe, they get to eat. They're treated with a modicum of humanity, a modicum. But, you know, that's a modicum more than any of these other countries. So these things take time. You know, I don't know what people are getting charged with. I don't know what indictments are sealed potentially out there. I don't know. And I shouldn't know. And no one should know. But my feeling is that things are moving forward. I liked, you know, and we, we, we see that in, in the newspaper. You know, we should keep putting public pressure on our leaders to investigate these things and prosecute these people where we know, as a matter of law, crimes were committed in real time on TV, yeah. on the Internet that right. we've watched. 
So those are good right. things. Not just trust what, what they're doing. Constantly ask questions. Yeah. Constantly go at them. And if they don't, if you don't feel like they're performing the way we should, you, you can even be critical. Not to the point where you don't believe in the system anymore, but you know, why isn't this happening? Why is, you know, yeah. why is it taking so long? So we're still, we're still everyone that the, um, the, the vote has now been passed, right? So there's now, they've now voted to refer Steve Bannon to, um, to, Garland. to, to, well, to the full house first, and then they'll vote and then yeah. to Mary Garland. Yeah. So that'll be the first time we've seen a subpoena enforced by a committee. Isn't that right? I think basically in the last four few years. One thing I also want to uh, remind everyone is that, you know, this is another reason why I wanted Congress to kind of move forward with holding Bannon in contempt and anyone else in contempt, you know, regarding this incredible assault on our democratic institutions from January 6th is because, you know, basically we're showing that our system works, that we're, we're going to use all tools necessary in order to bring about justice, in order to bring about disclosure of the truth about what we're dealing with here. I mean, this was a horrific yeah. uh, event in American history that will echo, even though they're all a bunch of bumbling idiots. And then we have a legislative branch, which is nice that the legislative branch is actually operating as a legislative branch and can yeah. do oversight and that kind of stuff and not just yeah. be castrated or whatever it was they was in the past. Uh, Rachel, I want to get you in here. What are your thoughts? So this has now happened. How is America going to receive it and how should people be messaging it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to take a point of privilege and move back a little bit. Okay, go do whatever you want. <laughs> been itching here like at the bit. I know. I'm sorry. We were like, talking. So. <laughs> I want to put this on Andrew's radar. So like, here's the thing. Yeah, they. I mean, they're not good criminals, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not stupid people either. I mean, Breitbart was not a stupid endeavor. It's an evil endeavor. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible, toxic endeavor, but it wasn't dumb. So they're not dumb. So you have to think, why would these not dumb? I mean, Trump's dumb, but the others, right? Mm -hmm. Like, why would these not dumb people commit flagrant crimes and leave flagrant evidence trails? To me, it's because they assume that they can seize power and yeah, I mean, the rule of law is going to catch up with them, but not if they control things, right? So like, to me, when I hear the confidence in the system, and I am a huge system person, you know, I'm a big, big believer in the rule of law in the system, I worry that they're not using the elements of the system in their own strategy. Like, okay, if we can just spin this out long enough, even if we get convicted, we can take power again in 22, 24, maybe illegally, maybe legally, but whichever way they can you know, abuse the pardon system to get, you know, to over, I mean, the state legislatures are passing laws to overturn elections. They're passing in, invalid, constitutionally invalid abortion legislation. So I just don't think we should ever look at Bannon, Miller, Trump, the MAGA GOP and not assume that they know what they're doing, right? And yeah. uh, if they're flagrantly doing crimes, it's probably because they expect to work us in yeah. terms of enforcement. Yeah, they could probably yeah, get away if, with and it. And if they win, and if they see, seize power, you're 100% right. Right, right. So we must make the wheels of justice are notoriously slow. We better be bringing in some grease. <laughs> and the reason why I keep bringing up, it's so true. Well it's so true. Well done. It's, well done. The reason why I keep bringing up all these foreign countries that are backing these people is it's not just Bannon. And it's not just Roger Stone and Flynn. They've got huge countries' intelligence services helping them out. They're, they've got lots of brains out there with lots of money, lots of no military know-how that are helping them out. And that's why it's so hard to break through from a messaging perspective for the Democrats yeah, yeah, yeah. because they're such a machine. Yeah. 
I would be far less concerned if they were doing discreet crime, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, think about Mitch McConnell's dealings with, I can never say that Russian last name. So the Deripaska? Right? Yeah, yeah, I suck at it, right? Yeah. Suck at English, too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're hard to get. Um, Once you practice a few times, yeah, you'll get it. But yeah, but I'd be so much less nervous if yeah. they weren't so atrociously flagrant about mm. what they're doing. It's because they are atrociously flagrant that I'm scared shitless, mm. right? So, well, that's part of their active measure. I mean, that's part of their process. Yes. You know, that's part of their mission to just yes. be grifters and greedy and be open and obvious about it because yes. they want to show or demonstrate that the system is not fair. That if you have power and if you're in the right position, you can get away with things. And yes. you know, like at least in Russia and China, they're honest about it. But I think you're, this is more than just grifting. Yeah, back to, Rachel, to help Rachel out a little bit here, that you know maybe they're actually quite serious about turning America into a fascist country. They're actually yeah. quite serious about the white nationalism. They're not, they will do this. This is just a, you know, we're on the journey to there. And I think people are discounting that. People assume that American rule of law will somehow overcome this just because it's American rule of law. But we are in a epic, you know, battle of the ages between autocracy and democracy. And, and one of those is going to win, but we don't know yet which one's going to win. And we can't assume that it's going to be the democratic side or the democracy. Yeah, side. nothing inevitable about our survival yeah. right. right now. Yeah, I agree with that. But I am an internal optimist, and I'm fighting. <laughs> so I'm fighting hard as as I can as an attorney, as an officer of the court. Uh, being involved in Twitter, I don't make any money off Twitter. You know, yeah, me either. Just 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 to be there, just mm-hmm. to be a voice of reason, to be right. a voice of the republic, so we can rally around each other and survive and, mm-hmm. and get through this together. Um, if people yeah. like us don't stand up. Then right. yeah, the point. Yeah. yeah. I, and we just can't. I mean, as at the beginning of the show, we talked about like inherent characteristics of people on our side of the spectrum. I'm a centrist, right? But I'm still on the center and center left side of the spectrum. We can't afford to believe in the best in people when the other side is being not their best people. (laughs) I I was just gonna say to everything you guys are saying, there's been a line that's haunted me from Ann Nelson who wrote Shadow Network. She told me in an interview, there was never a day when the majority of Germans woke up and voted for Hitler. It just didn't happen. Mm. So that's always haunted me Mm. because sometimes it doesn't take, quite often we're seeing it doesn't take a majority to game things to create the voter suppression. But we do know when the Democrats do activate their base, they generally win. Mm-hmm. So that is a it, it, It's up to us. I mean, yes. I don't think we would go down the Nazi Germany path. You know, there's a lot of differences between America and 1930s and 20s Germany, you know, the humiliation of World War One, And, you know, they basically didn't have a very long history of democratic institutions. We've always improved. We, we started out at X and we're way further away from that. But, you know, like, like we're all, I think we're all kind of echoing is that we can't rest on our laurels. You know, our, our rights are not self-activating. We need to right. exercise them and, and we need to fight for our Republic, whether it's just with the, the word or the pen or, you know, God forbid it ever comes to the sword, so to speak, you know, right. we need to fight for it. Otherwise we'll lose it. But we also need to learn yeah. how to fight. And I think that's what Rachel was talking I mean, about at the start of the show, about the messaging, yeah. the type of messaging. Right. 
Can you go <laughs> I mean, give us another couple of examples? I just I found it very effective when you gave us those, that one example earlier on. You know, we're all nice people, so we treat people nicely and we cooperate and we don't confront. And on Twitter, we support each other and it's lovely, but it's not doing anything. It's not going at the other side. It's not destroying the other side. It's just sort of they're laughing at us and calling us whatever names they have. What's the approach that's going to be different for us on Twitter and elsewhere that's going to actually make change? Well, I mean, you know, you don't have to totally move away from like the things that are natural for us yeah. either. Like you can still talk about policy, but think about how like the Republican Party, when it does talk about policy, like, when the Republican Party talk, talks about policy, as I was saying earlier, it's always sniper, never shotgun. Right. Mm -hmm. And they bring it to life. They make it personal. It's always about me, not we. Okay, mm -hmm. all of our stuff, we care about the collective. So we frame things in a collective frame, mm -hmm. you know, vote. Be, uh, they're going to steal these people's voting rights. They're going to mm -hmm. take um, abortion and hurt these women or whatever. Right. The GOP talks about things emotively and in a me frame. They're going to take all of your guns, all of your guns. It's not mm -hmm. the policy is a red flag law, which, you know, makes it so a wife beater can't, you know, have a gun for right. 90 days, right. Right? right? But the rhetoric is very over the top and heated and emotive and direct to the mm -hmm. person, right? right? So like like when I talk about policy, like uh, this abortion ad that I have in the works, like there's lots of things wrong with the Texas abortion law, but the whole ad is focused on one element, bringing to life the vision of being forced to bear a rapist baby, mm, yeah, being forced by the state yeah. to carry a baby to term, and then potentially having to raise it with mm. co-parent mm. with your rapist. Mm. <laughs> like, it's a rape law. Like, it really is. You know, yeah, that's bring policy to life. Guys. Yeah, that works. And it's right. all, like shit that the GOP does. And like the way I teach it, you know, because I've studied this stuff anthropologically before I, you know, endeavor to try to save democracy with it is, you know, it, it's about bringing this emotive stakes. It's a stakes, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, now I've got to vote because it's about me or my daughter, right? right? Is going to be hurt if I am not participating. And right now, we don't really talk to anybody in a messaging way about why voting for Democrats is important, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, if you're going to talk about credit claiming, for example, so it's not enough to say, hey, I gave you a $250 child tax credit. You have to say, Democrats gave you this thing that is doing this thing for you, and mm. they're coming to take it. Yeah. Right? So it's not a, there's there's right? mess, there's definitely messaging issues, you know. Yeah. Yes. So it's not about talking about autocracy either. It's about talking about your freedoms are going to be taken away. Your right to speak is going to be taken away. Your right of association yeah. is going to be. You got to talk about those yeah, specific yeah. things, not about that autocracy thing over there, because yeah, that's really hard yeah. for people to understand. Like, you know, I mean, you can do all whole series on ads about fascism mm. that don't. They're not focused on like these broad theme concepts mm -hmm. though i have people tell me well people don't even know what authoritarian or fascism is and i'm like yeah well five years ago they didn't know what socialism is either right but it right. seems to be working mm -hmm. pretty damn good for the other side doesn't it right <laughs> wait until you're and the like, pariah of the world and no, no country will accept you there no a problem in the u.s right yeah. it's a completely made up phenomenon crt yeah. completely made up phenomenon. <laughs> right you know we just made kept up our Right. Yeah. We just kept like, our oh. governor in California because we did stop the Republican recall. It was that, that simple. Came, there was yeah, nothing that else. Was that, that you? It came from you? <laughs> oh, hey! 
Well done, Rachel. Thank you. Gavin Newsom stays because of you. That's the awesome. Newsom campaign, I did not coordinate with the Newsom campaign, but I pushed really hard, really early and told them, look, the only data point that matters in any of the polling you're doing is how enthusiastic are Democrats to vote. You have a 20 point registration advantage. Get those people to vote, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and right. the way That's you what do happens. that is you make so like the ad I cut for the California recall, which you can also see on that YouTube page, is about teaching other campaign professionals. You tell the California voter, it's not about Newsom. It has nothing mm. to fucking do with him. It's about you. It's a recall on you. Mm. They're coming mm -hmm. for you, California. Mm -hmm. You know? Well, it worked, and I thank done, you. <laughs> thank you. No, that's Ooh. awesome. That's playing on what you had said earlier, making it personal. Mm. Yeah, and so like, if, you're, you know, if you're listening to this show, if you think this, this makes sense, if you want to see an action, go to that YouTube page. It's on Twitter, too, and you can see... Like, so these videos resonate. Like when you compare how they're performing against the official campaign stuff, they're getting big views because they resonate. People recognize it right away for what it is. It's effective brand stakes framing nationalized messaging. And, and the reason they recognize it is because they're like, oh, that's what they do to us, but we're doing it to them this time. So the, what's the and YouTube page? It's strikepack.com. Is that so right? Like our, the pack's name is Strike Pack. Okay. It's all female. It's the only all female super pack. It's the only one that's ever been made by a, you know, reformed academic. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton's there like though. That's not really easy. Yeah, Hamilton's female. actually <laughs> the, uh, uh, mascot dog. You know, yeah. once we get the merch stuff going and uh you know i'm sure he's gonna sell a lot of stuff because he's much better looking than i am you know <laughs> well you're you're both great and we're so glad you came on the show to give us all this great insight and people could follow you at rachel bitter which is b-i-t-e-c-o-f-e-r rachel bitter and uh thanks very much for being here tonight anything else you want to say you've mentioned your strike pack that's s-t-r-i-k-e pack p-a-c anything else that you uh, want to mention that you can promote or any other last thoughts from you i'll just say 2022 21 in virginia it's democracy versus fascism make no mistake about it right right absolutely Ooh, thank you for that uh, andrew give us a last thought about what you think is happening tonight with bannon and uh, and anything else you want to talk about I think we have no choice i think doj knows what's at stake here i think our leadership knows what's at stake here mm -hmm. and i think they need to do what they need to do within the boundaries of the law um, to get the proper people prosecuted. You know, we, we've gotten hundreds, you know, they've done great getting the cannon fodder prosecuted, but we need the leadership prosecuted. Yeah. We need Flynn. We need Stone. You know, we need all the people that were, you know, Trump and members of Congress that were giving tours to some of these putative, uh, you know, January 6th insurrectionists. So we, we really need to go after the leadership. And, you know, I really felt, all warm inside seeing Deripaska getting ready today. It really was a good feeling because I thought they'd ever forgotten about that and seeing uh, Steele yesterday on TV. I was like, you know, but you got him out there saying this, this Steele, the dossier was legit. He doesn't feel like it's ever been disputed and he thinks the, um, the Mueller report was accurate um, or backed it up at least. And then the next day you get Deripaska searched. That's an interesting combination of events to happening in over two days. I'm not saying it's coordinated. Who knows if it is? It might be. But it uh, certainly made me feel good for all the hard work we all did those many years. Andrew Laufer, thank you very much for joining us. You're at, at Laufer Law, L-A-U-F-E-R Law on Twitter. One of the best Twitter accounts out there. Everyone should follow Andrew. Thank you for being here tonight. And thank you, Rachel Bitterkoffer, for being here tonight. Heidi and I are going to stick around for a few minutes. Uh, but thank you very much for being here. With, we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank nice to meet you. you. Bye. So, um, 
Last thoughts, Heidi. That was a really fascinating, a really interesting combination of thoughts around Bannon because we, we, you know, it was interesting to get the messaging piece of it, the election piece of it, understanding what his strategy is, but also understanding the criminal aspects that are going on right now and what's happening in Congress. You know, these are two things that are converging all at once, and they'll all converge in an election next year. You know, I mean, this is yes. These are all they don't operate in isolation. We're all seeing these different streams developing, but they will all ultimately uh, arrive at an election next year which even though Rachel says the Democrats have very little chance of winning, I think there's still a long way to go. And maybe in a year from now, the messaging can change. And a lot of the, you know, a lot, of, a lot can change if we fight hard, if we fight That's hard. That's right. I think this conversation was incredibly productive. I do think there is a deadline for democracy that we have to pay attention to. Conversations like this take the wind out of these propagandists, mm-hmm. which is very important. But as our viewers noted, you've got one side messaging build a wall, lock her up, and you have Democrats saying, let's make sure the rule of law works. And there's a lot of space between those two. Yeah. And so making it personal, dialing in- making the stakes personal for everyone was really something I'm taking home tonight. And, and everyone can do that on their Twitter accounts. You know, think about the messaging. You know, don't talk about the policy. Talk about the impact it's going to have on people. I think there's so many ways we can learn from people like Rachel, who's brilliantly smart, obviously, Amazing. and who knows her way around these things. Um, you know, and rather than letting the, uh, you know, just the GOP sort of rampage all over us, let's take the fight to them using some of their own stylistic tools, if you will. Um, and, yeah. and I think we can learn. We can learn a lot from that. We, we have to roll around a little bit in the gutter. It may be inelegant, but our democracy is at stake. Our lives are at stake. Our lifestyles are at stake. Your lives are at stake and your lifestyles are at stake. You know, if we, mm-hmm. it's not about voting. You know, fascism mm-hmm. is not about voting. Fascism is about not having any freedom. It's about not being able to determine who you can associate with, about where you can work, about who you can live next to, about what you can say in public. It's about feeling secure and safe in your homes. Once fascism arrives, there is no rule of law. So anything can happen at any time based on the whim of one person. And that's the kind of the trade-in that we're going to be facing in just a couple of years from now when the next uh, presidential election comes around. And that's the really? show for tonight. Thanks very much for being here on Narrative. We are back tomorrow night with a show that is completely unknown. We have no idea what's on tomorrow. Um, <laughs> Hopefully it'll, it'll include a little bit of chatter about uh, oligarchs. Yeah. So if you guys have any ideas or questions or anything you want to throw in there for tomorrow, just DM us or either in on at the bottom of this feed right here. Write us your questions that you want us to answer tomorrow, and we'll answer those questions. Thank you very much for being here on Narrative tonight. It's a big night. Bannon on his way to being found in contempt of Congress. Thank you for nine being nine zero nine zero. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.